So this morning we are we're looking at a few words from, from Jesus. Uh, John 15, 9 through 17. John 15, 9 through 17. Um, you'll find the words on the screen behind me, on the screen in front of you. Uh, and if you've got it with you, you can follow along that way as well. Um, I'll, I'll remind you again later, but, but Jesus is, is saying these things the night before the cross, right? So these are like some of the most, like he knows it's all going down tomorrow. It's all going down. So I need to say what I need to say before that happens. And when you know the end is near, then you're going you're gonna to talk about the most important things. You're going to remind your, the people that you love of the things that, that matter the most, more than anything else, right? And so that's the kind of conversation that's happening. Um, sometimes these are, these are known as the farewell discourses because it's like farewell. I'm, I'm going, I'm leaving, and these are the most important things. Are you with me? So John 15, 9 through 17. Um, before we read it, let's pray together. God, uh, we just pray that however it is you do what you do, that your voice would be heard. Through anything that is, is said or read, anything that is thought or felt in, in these next few moments, we pray that, that your voice, that your voice would speak and that we would hear it, and that we would be transformed by it. In Jesus' name, amen. So Jesus says this, As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now, remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in His love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know what his master's business is. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from my Father, I've made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. This is my command. Love each other. We'll go that far. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. This is my command. Love each other. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Love each other. So we're Pretty, pretty clear that this is about love, right? 
As the Father had loved Jesus, Jesus then loves us. And the Father and Jesus and their relationship of intimacy and love caused Jesus to live a certain way and do certain things. And then Jesus has loved us with that same sort of love. We have that same sort of intimacy. So probably ought to, 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 to change us into people who, who live a certain way and do certain things and say certain things and emphasize certain things in our lives and go certain places. So, so we probably, that's sort of the central question we have here. But th- this idea of love, let's start with this idea of love. And we're going to start by, by talking about an old Jewish folk tale because um, I think it says something significant about love, and it's one of my favorite Jewish folk tales. Uh, so here it goes. A fisherman pulls out of the water a, a, a big, beautiful pike. It's a big fish. He said, look at the size of this fish. This is so good. Uh, I'm going to bring it to the baron because the baron loves fish. Upon hearing those words, the fish thinks to himself, oh, there's hope for me yet because the baron loves fish. Y'all know the end before we even get there. So he takes, takes it to the gate of the baron's palace, and the, the guard says, what do you have? And the fisherman says, I have this big, beautiful pike. And the guard says, oh, great. The baron loves pike. And the fish thinks to himself, as he can hardly breathe at this point, oh, there's hope for me yet because the baron loves pike. As he's brought into the kitchen, he's laid down onto the counter. Uh, the cooks are all smiling at themselves and nodding to each other because they know how much the baron loves pike. And then the baron himself comes in and he looks at the fish uh, and he says, cut off its tail, cut off its head and slice it this way. And with, with its dying last breath, the fish cries out, why did you lie? The baron doesn't love fish. He only loves himself. What a sad story. <laughs> Morbid. And... Wow. A poor fish. Whole time he's filled with hope, but then realizes, oh, Jesus says, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Love each other. The only problem is, is we're not really sure what love is. At least the way we use that word uh, makes it feel that way. Because we throw that word around so casually, that word love. Like we say we love pike, but we don't really love pike. We just love ourselves enough to kill and eat a fish. Right? We say, we lo- I love cheeseburgers. I love pizza. Do we really love those things? We say, I love the Cubs. I love the Royals. I love the Chiefs. I love the Packers. I love the Vikings. I love the Cyclones. I love the Hawkeyes. But do we really, do we really love those things? Our world is infatuated with celebrity love. Go, Benifer! Right, yay! We confuse love with all sorts of things. All sorts of things. We confuse our feelings of admiration with love. We confuse our feelings of stimulation with love. This is why we say we love sports. We say, I love going to football games. I love football. 
I love the game of football. Really? No. You just love yourself because the game of football stimulates you and gets you all excited. It's really about self-love. You love yourself. You don't love football. You love yourself. And that's okay. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that, but we confuse feelings of lust with feelings of love. We, we confuse love with all sorts of different things because we throw that word around so casually. But what is love? What does it mean? As I think about these words from Jesus, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. I think at this point in the story, even the disciples may have been a little bit more than confused about what the conversation was really about because he said those words to them, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. While they were all gathered together in the famous upper room. You know the upper room we're talking about? So the next night is the night. It's the cross. It's all happening and it's coming quickly. And he said these words. Just a few hours earlier, he had taken on the form of a slave and gotten on his hands and knees and, and washed their feet. Shortly after that, they shared the Passover meal together, at which he said, he said something along these lines. He said, he said, this bread is my body and this wine is my blood. As often as you eat of it, as often as you drink of it, remember me. And then knowing that they won't ever gather together ever again for a meal like this, he says to them, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love and love each other. It sounds so warm and fuzzy, doesn't it? Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong. They are weak, but he is strong. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. The Bible tells me so. It sounds, doesn't that make that song still at 45? I cannot believe that. I'm 45. It still makes me feel warm and fuzzy. It really does. It makes me feel happy inside. The Father loves Jesus, and they shared this intimacy of, of love, and, and now Jesus loves me and, and love each other, and it's, it does. It makes me feel warm and fuzzy. I even get, right now, as I'm talking about how it makes me feel, I got little goosebumps. That makes me feel good. But if we think about it, if we really think about it, and we think about the context in which Jesus said these things to his closest followers, we soon begin to realize that there's a whole lot more here than warmth and fuzz. A whole lot more. These words are heavy. These words are weighty. These words, oh, they mean so much more than we give them credit for. They are really weighty words. You see, the disciples had seen what came out of the relationship of love that Jesus has with the Father. Right? And they were intrigued by this intimacy that, that Jesus shared with the Father, and they wanted in on that, but they also knew what came out of that relationship. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. Okay, so now here comes a question. If we are to remain in the love of Jesus, what will that do to us and we find our answer by looking at 
what it did for Jesus to remain in the Father's love. How had the Father, that intimacy of love, that relationship there, how had it changed Jesus and what did it cause him to do? And how did it cause him to live? Out of that relationship of intimacy and love, the Father sends the Son into the world to become a human being. Paul talks about it like this. He did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, so he let go of it and became a human being, became one of us, taking on the form of a slave eventually to the cross. Right? Once he was born, became a human being, King Herod tried to kill him. Out of that relationship of love, Jesus was sent into the wilderness to do battle with the devil for 40 days and for 40 nights. Out of that relationship of love, Jesus, out of his, out of his love for the Father and love for the world, he walked straight into conflict with the most religious, the most powerful, the most violent people in the world who plotted to take his life away. Jesus' love motivated him to, to surround himself not with super powerful, strong, extraordinary people who would help him get done what he wanted to get done in the world. No, out of his, out of his love for the world, it caused him to surround himself with a bunch of nobodies who had no idea what they were doing. How did Jesus' relationship of love with the Father affect him? Danger everywhere. Demons to do battle with and cast out. Sick people pulling on his clothes and asking for help. Crowds pressing in on him. No roof over his head. No place to lay his head. It pushed him, motivated him to go across every single social barrier that we have ever set up to separate us from other people. He just completely disregarded him. And of course, we all know how it ended with him hanging on a cross. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. Do we really want that? Right? Don't we want Jesus to say something else like, like y'all love you differently? Well, I'll love you into a safe little bubble of health. You'll get everything you want. You'll be healthy. I'm, I'm going to love you into a, a safe little bubble of, of wealth. It's like there are people who teach this. And everything will go right for you, right? Because of my love for you. But then there's always in, in, in that sort of theology, it's like, well, you have to do the right things and believe the right things too, or else you're not going to get those things. But I'll love you differently. I'll love you into a safe bubble of health and wealth. We'd really love that. But it seems like if, if Jesus is talking about the same kind of love and relationship that he had with the Father and he now gives to us, we should probably expect the same effect in our lives, shouldn't we? If we remain in the love of Jesus, we, we might just find ourselves with no roof over our heads, battling demons. Right? We might find ourselves close to people who are sick and poor and mentally ill. We might find ourselves being pushed to serve in places where we might not want to go while the rest of the world looks at us like we're crazy, maybe even laughs at us. That is, if we remain in the love of Jesus. 
So at this point, I could tell you all sorts of stories about people that you've that you may have heard of before, like um, Mother Teresa, and Dietrich Bonhoeffer, Martin Luther King Jr. But but here's a here's a guy you may not have ever heard of, and after he died in 2019, see see not everyone's perfect. Not everyone's perfect. And so there's this guy named Jean Vanier, and we found out after he died that he did some pretty horrible things while he was alive too. Took advantage of, of some nurses and women. And I just want him, let's tell the truth about people. But he also did some extraordinary things. Vanier was as successful as you can get. He served in the British Navy and the Canadian Royal Navy. He completed a doctorate in philosophy and became a dynamic young professor at the University of Toronto. Everything was going right for him. His life was amazing. But in 1964, at the age of 36, he figured out what his life was going to be about. See, after seeing the desperate situations of thousands of intellectually disabled people in mental institutions, Vanier decided to do something about it. Here's a whole group of people who are not being cared for and not being given the dignity that they deserve. So here's what he did. He bought a house in France, called it the Ark, and invited two such people to come and live with them, and they, they formed a genuine community together. The three of them then, then invited other people to other people with mental disabilities and those without to live with one another and create genuine communities so that people were given the dignity that they actually deserved. And then since then, 130 other such houses called the Ark would pop up all around the world, right? And even though he'd become famous for this all over the world, he lived in that house in France named the Ark where it all began until the day he died. He lived among and served those who needed it most. Gave up a life of success to do this, all because he remained in the love of Jesus. See, that's the kind of thing that happens when we actually remain in the love of Jesus. We get pushed into places where at first, we might not want to go. Sometimes we battle demons even inside our own selves. We wrestle with what we've been given and what we've been handed down, the things we're told we're supposed to believe because we've experienced this love of Jesus. It causes us to go, is that making me a loving person? And it feels like we're, we're battling demons inside because sometimes we realize, no, that doesn't make me a loving person. We confront powers that are greater than us. We find ourselves hanging out with people that we were told we're not supposed to be around. So remaining in the love of Jesus is hard, maybe too hard, and maybe we don't really want to do it. If that's the case, let's keep reading. Verse 14, you are my friends. This is extraordinary. You're my friends. If you do it, I command. I no longer call you servants. Because a servant doesn't know his master's business. Instead, I call you friends. For everything I learned from my father, I've, I've made known to you. You didn't choose me. I chose 
you and appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. Oh my goodness, I like it that he said that. I really do. I no longer call you servants. I call you friends. I no longer call you servants because servant doesn't know his master's business, but instead I have called you friends. Think of it. The just think of that. Jesus, God's Son, the one through whom and for whom all things were made. Jesus is our friend, our partner, the one who walks alongside of us. And with Jesus at our side, we find ourselves not shrinking back when our experience of his love pushes us into tough, challenging places. No, we find ourselves moving forward, experiencing joy, bearing fruit, like Mother Teresa, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, Martin Luther King Jr., Jean Vanier. We find ourselves doing extraordinary things. We find ourselves loving, like really loving. Our love for God and our love for the world becomes more than just a fuzzy, warm feeling that we have inside. Our love turns into action. Our love turns into sacrifice, like real, extraordinary sacrifice. Jesus said at first, greater love is no one than this, than one laid down one's life for their friends. Genuine, real sacrifice. In the name of love and acceptance, we've experienced this. We know what this feels like firsthand. See, this is where our version of love is different from the version of the, the world will teach us. And the confusion ends. We don't have to be confused about it. Because love isn't an emotion. Love isn't a feeling. Love isn't admiration. Not even intense admiration. Love isn't stimulation. Love isn't lust. You've heard this before. Love is a verb. DC Talk, back when I was in high school, sang an amazing song called Love is a Verb. I challenge you to YouTube it. It meant a lot to me back then. I may have even learned something from it. Love is action. This is my command. Love each other. You cannot, how can you command love? You cannot command an attitude, you cannot command a feeling, you cannot command an emotion, but you can command action. You can command action. That's what love is. Think of it. God didn't just say, I love you to all of creation. Nope. God became one of us, lived and loved us showed us what God looks like, showed us exactly what it looks like to be a human being, and then gave up his life for us. Action. How did God prove God's love for us? Well, our good book says that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Action. This is my command. Love each other. For Jesus, laying down his life for his friends literally meant dying. Now, for us, we may never be called to do that for one another, but there are a whole lot of ways of laying our lives down for one another that don't involve death and organ donation. A whole lot more. We may need to cut our personal ambitions so that, so that we can do what's best for our families. Maybe we start there. 
We may be called to give sacrificially of our hard-earned money in order to care for somebody who's experiencing, who's experiencing a crushing need. We may need to give up a, a gigantic sort of money-making career so that, we can, so that we can serve people who need it most, people the world has forgotten. But that's what love is. That's what love does. That's what abiding or remaining in the love of Jesus does. It bears fruit. It brings joy. It transforms you. And then it begins to transform lives of people around you. Here's where some rubber meets the road. Can we have a conversation? If I were to ask you, let's do a thought experiment, okay? If we were to ask people out there in the world, what is the church known for? What, what, what are Jesus' people known for? Like, how would they describe us? Let's, you can talk, it's fine. How would we be described? What's the church known for? If you don't, it's fine, I'll come up with some stuff. Hypocrisy. That's like the, the one that's like right there. Yeah, we say one thing and do another. What, other, what, other, what else? What are we known for? Judgment. Judgment. Like, in a lot of ways, it, we've lost the plot. Like, totally and completely lost the plot. It's maddening. It's sickening. I don't understand it. We've totally lost the plot. Somewhere along the lines, we figure, we've decided that, that the most important thing for us is, is what we believe. That's the most important thing. And if we don't believe the right things, what do we do? We separate from one another. Because what we believe is the most important thing. Love isn't the most important thing. What we believe is the most important thing. Somehow or some other way, our, our houses of worship and love for God and one another have turned into houses of sin management. You can do this, you can do that, but don't do this and don't do that. And because our houses of love for God and one another have become houses of sin management, we then become the sin management of the world. We're the moral police because that's what we practice in-house. So now we practice that out there too. And we tell everybody else what they can and cannot do. The most important thing to us is not love. Let's just have a frank, honest conversation about it. It's not the most important thing. One day, uh, a religious expert came up to Jesus. Y'all have heard this before and said, Jesus, what's the, what's the most important thing? What's the greatest commandment? Jesus, Jesus said, believe all the right things. Make sure everybody acts in the way they're supposed to. <sighs> what's the most important thing, Jesus? He said, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. That's the most important thing. Why have we missed the plot totally? It's like we're riding in a different boat. This isn't the Jesus boat. This is some other thing. I don't know what it is. It's confusing and frustrating and saddening and maddening. You know what Paul said? He's the greatest church planter ever ever in the history of ever. He wrote most of the New Testament, the Bible, the book that we love so much. We make him say whatever we want him to say. We do. 
But you know what he said that can't be confused? He said this, the only thing that matters. That's like saying, this is the most important thing. The only thing that matters is faith expressing itself as love. Faith, hope, and love are pretty important, he said, but the greatest of these is love. It's all over this book. All over it. We've made it say whatever we want it to say, and because we've done that, it's formed us into people that we've never, we were never intended to become. In another place, Paul said this. If I, something like this, this isn't a direct quote, you can go look for it later. I'm not even going to tell you where to find it, so you have to search. Ha. Huh? If I have everything this world has to offer, everything, but have not love, I'm nothing. This is my command. Love each other. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If we remain in the love of Jesus, it will push us into the places Jesus went. We'll mix company with the kinds of people Jesus mixed company with, ate with, shared life with. It'll cause us to cross all of them, all the barriers. Jesus even said, love your enemies. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. Can we make it that simple? Like we've complicated it so badly, so much. Can we make it that simple? Can we really build this community as we think about moving forward in the future? Can we really just make it about that? This is a community of love. Because if we try to make it about just believing the right things, believe me, and if that's, if that's the thing that, 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 that makes us get into heaven or not, we're all in trouble because I got news for you. We all believe a whole bunch of things that aren't quite right. Can we make it about love? Can we do that? Can we make it that simple? Remaining in the love of Jesus and then loving the world like he did? I think so. Let's do it. Let's pray.